Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Matt Croger and today I'll be taking you on a little trip through the tournament that was Clash of Kings Australia that was run on the weekend just past. I have a few small interviews from the event, all from day two, as I was too busy day one and totally forgot to get you content, so sorry about that. Uh, I'll take you through my list and some memorable memorable moments from my games, and then the Piste de la Resistance will be an interview with the eventual winner, Grandmaster Geoffrey Trace himself. This was, the, I think, the fourth or fifth Clash of Kings I have run, uh, basically all by one, um, since second edition dropped. And this was the very first time that I got to play uh, with our numbers a little bit down pre-COVID. If you wish to see the full tournament pack, you can go to uh, cowaustralia.com. Uh, and there's a full pack there. Otherwise, I'll tell you a little bit about the event now. So it's a two-day event held over what's generally called our Australia Day long weekend, but the public holiday always is on the 26th of January, so this weekend technically wasn't a long weekend. And it usually forms a part of CanCon, which is Australia's biggest tabletop wargaming event, which tra- attracts generally about 5,000 visitors a day. Uh, this year, uh, so January 2021, uh, CanCon was unfortunately cancelled due to COVID restrictions. Therefore, uh, given that things were going pretty well in the state on its own, we were able to run it in a different space called Canberra Technology Park, which is literally about one kilometre away from the usual venue, but has on-site access to a cafe, uh, cafe sorry, canteen and drinks. Uh, Clash of Kings Australia is a six-game event run at 2,000 points. We like people to have to make the list decisions to get their list down to 2,000 points. And this year we allowed 60 minutes per player, whereas generally uh, we'll allow only 50 or 55 minutes per player, which generally gives us a larger break on day one to explore the convention if we needed to. I had the event starting with a cap of 50 people due to COVID restrictions. Unfortunately, over time, this drifted down to 29 on the weekend. And mostly of that is not due to people being afraid of catching COVID, but in Australia, as you may aware, we've done a reasonably good job of suppressing the disease. Some people claim that's just where an, uh, because we're an island, uh, but that doesn't stop internal transmission, not that we're doing things perfectly. Uh, but what happens is when there's a little outbreak is that uh, states basically close their borders to each other. So states go into a, basically uh, a lockdown to external states around them and won't let people come into their state without quarantining, often in hotel quarantine. Uh, so people tend to not travel. And so uh, we lost quite a few numbers from our southern and northern neighbours uh, because their states have been going into lockdown quite quickly when there's a little spike. So people were uh, worried about being able to get back to their state in time if a lockdown came into force without having to be enforced into quarantine. Uh, Overall, we're in one of the bits of Australia in Canberra, which is part of the Australian 
Capital Territory, which is one of the safest currently and has been one of the least affected with only three COVID deaths so far in the state. If you want to look at the results from the tournament, I urge you to go to tabletop.to and search for Clash of Kings Australia 2021, and most of the lists are now available for viewing. I have also posted lots of pictures on not only Kings of War Australia group, but Kings of War Fanatics, and the results will be posted there shortly as well. In terms of the overall results, we had Mr. Jeffrey Trash coming in first, second was Julian Merkett with his Night Stalkers, and third was Michael Geld with his Dwarves. Best Painted went to Sam Panton from a place called Newcastle with his Ratkin. Best Sports was Ben Hampson with his Ogres. Uh, Best Mantic Army was Peter Ball with his Dwarves. We had a Wooden Spooner, which was Roxanne Gallica. Uh, we had our Countercharger Award, which went to Bridget McGarry. Uh, so both the ladies pick in our field picking up awards there. Uh, we had Unluckiest General for the most double ones across six games, which went to Michael Clark, who had 12 double ones. We had a Pillow Fighter Award, which went to Ken Ferris. Now, this was originally meant to be for the least amount of attrition in a game, but uh, we had an event where Ken failed to score any attrition points against Jeffrey's Trace, and we, so we thought that should be celebrated with the award instead. Best Evil went to Julian Merkett with his Night Stalkers. Best Good to Michael Geld with his Dwarves. Best Neutral to Ian Wood with his uh, Ogres. Bloodiest General, after we took out the other awards, was Glenn Porrett with about 8,500 attrition, a bit over that, that, with his Elves. And in terms of a faction breakdown from the tournament, what was really interesting is that we actually only had one undead player. So we didn't have too many people wanting to play on easy mode, which was good. Uh, so the most represented army was actually Forces of the Abyss with four. I don't think that's so surprising. One, because it's a Mantic Complete line. So those wanting to compete for a Mantic Award would likely pick something like that. Uh, two, it's an army that fits a wide variety of playstyles. So I think it is one of the better lists in the game for being supportive of playing different playstyles. We actually had three elves and three dwarves and dwarves of the, well, the usual flavor, not the, not the free dwarves, so the imperial dwarves. We had two goblins, two ratkin, two northern alliance, and two sylvan kin. So an interesting mix there. And then lastly, one basalian, one kingdoms of men, one herd, sorry, I forgot two ogres, uh, one undead, one empire of dust, one Night Stalkers, and one Order of the Brother Mark. So the Order of the Brother Mark was actually my list, because uh, as I mentioned, I got to play this time, which was fantastic. Uh, and I'll take you through that now. So my list was two regiments of Villain Penitents, a horde of men-at-arms swordsmen, uh, a regiment of the Order of the Abyssal Hunt with Sir Jesse's Boots of Striding, two regiments of Paladin Knights, a horde of Ogre Palace Guard, three villain siege artillery, a bearer of the holy icon, a priest mounted with bane chant, and a high paladin on dragon. So I took the brother mark for a number of reasons. Uh, one was basically I knew no one's been playing with them and I like the tournaments to have good variety. Uh, so I thought I would do that. Uh, two, the group I play with has quite a beautiful uh, army that you, that you can use for any of the human factions. And three, with my Dragon Empire, I'm moving towards some sort of 
uh, list like Basalia or uh, Brother Mark variant or Order of the Green Lady, something like that. But primarily it was because you don't see it on the table much and I like to see that variety at tournaments. So prior to the event, I thought this list could do a little bit in each phase of the game, which is the type of list I like. I don't like to go heavy one way or the other. I had tossed around with using Bowman versus Penitence at different points, but I thought Penitence would be more valuable. Probably over the course, they they maybe were. It's, it's a little bit hard to say. Overall, I was happy with the list. I certainly think as a whole, the three War Machines underperformed quite significantly across the six games, which was a bit disappointing. Uh, normally, if you have those games that are really under, you're like, oh, well, the next one, they'll go big. And look, there were games where they did their work well, um, but I certainly think averaged out across the six games, they performed well below average. Uh, I definitely think in the hands of a better general, this list could do quite well. And I, I certainly think that um, Brother Mark can be a competitive list. And this list would also do better if I'd focused on my games more. But I'm a quick player anyway. But in this tournament, I particularly desired to do my turns quickly so I could answer questions, take photos, uh, do things that a TO needs to do. Um, so, for example, I think I only used more than 30 minutes on my clock once across my games. So now I'm going to give you a run through very quickly of the games I played. Uh, I'll take you through some of the lists, not all of them, because some of them are in the interviews I managed to gather. And we'll go from there. So my first game was actually a grudge match against Ben Hampson, who used to run an online retailer that stocked Mantic products. And I hadn't played Ben for some time. So and he's always a great game. And you, if you had, were listening earlier, you know that he took out best sport and I certainly voted for Ben. Uh, so Ben's always a great game. So I wanted to grudge him to make sure I, I got that game this tournament. Ben was running Ogres. And so he had a Warrior Chariot Legion, three hordes of boomers, three regiments of warriors, three Red Goblin Blasters, two Ogre Warlocks, and Nomagarok, who in third edition is just an absolute beast uh, and very handy. So my whole plan here was that as long as I could survive the shooting, I thought I was a chance, and particularly because I uh, had the speed advantage. That turned out to be the case. I was able to use the dragon to really threaten Ben from turn one. He was severely under-rolling on his lightning rolls. So one of his warlocks had the boomstick and one had uh, conjurer's staff, I think it was. Uh, yeah, conjurer's staff and drain life. And poor Ben just couldn't roll lightning to save himself. And so uh, that certainly gave me another advantage. And so uh, the, the idea was hold back, let the artillery do some work and then rush across the board because the scenario was invade. Uh, that turned out to work, although it was touch and go because the thing about ogres is with all those characters is they do have plenty of things that can get in your way that all have unit strength. Uh, but in the end, I managed to get the win up against Ben and uh, I think that was about a 16-5, but I'll just confirm that. Uh, yeah, it was a 17-4 against Ben. Next up, I had Michael Geld, who played on the top table in the very last round and ended up coming third. Uh, he was running dwarfs, and I won't run through his list because he uh, talks about it uh, later in an interview I did with him. But basically, uh, we were playing, I think it was one of the bluff scenarios. 
or pillage, something like that. Michael had a fair bit of shooting again. Uh, so the whole idea was with his war machines was to basically hang my whole army back for several turns while my dragon distracted distracted him and had him spinning round, which I was able to do. Um, but what I really should have done then was uh, push all my army forward on turn four to make sure I could get to where I needed to be. Uh, but in the end, I left it a turn too late and I couldn't do that. Uh, and so he got a win over me 15 to 6. But it was a great game and he used his army really well because uh, I held back for so long. I think in that whole game, I might have only used 20 minutes on my clock because I wasn't really positioning. And then, like I said, left it too late. Round three was Taz Stacy and his Northern Alliance. And you would have heard him on our Northern Alliance review. If you have a spare over three hours, then you should definitely give that a listen. Uh, Taz was running a horde of snow trolls with the Dwarven Ale, two snow fox regiments, two lords on Frostfang, both with snow foxes, one with blade of slashing, one with mace of crushing, a snow troll prime, two pack hunters troops, a human clansman horde, an ice naiad horde with hammer of measured force, Olaf the Barbarian, and a regiment of Huskulls with the Healing Brew. So a list that did a little bit of everything. Uh, this game really turned on two big mistakes. And the first mistake being mine, which I think ended up being the largest mistake, where Taz had pushed up his snow trolls and I, I thought I was going to be able to handle a flank with a couple of regiments of cavalry there because I, I, I had the speed advantage. But I didn't realise that his snow troll prime had just tipped onto a hill so he could see over. I thought it was still behind. And so then that allowed him to charge when I thought I couldn't be seen. And that really changed that flank. Uh, Taz did make a mistake later where he didn't see that my dragon could see something uh, and I managed to get my own back but by then it was a little bit too late and Taz got a very handy win over me uh, 16-5 and that was in control I think from memory but I could be wrong there. And that ended my day one. So one win and two losses by the end of day one. So I certainly wasn't near anywhere near the top end of the board. I think I was probably around the 20th mark or so, maybe even a touch lower. Going into round three, I played a game against a bloke that picked up the game during COVID, which is interesting. And you'll hear an interview from him shortly. And that was Owen Jones. And he was playing Basalia. Uh, again, I won't go through his list because he'll recount it for you. Uh, this was a very cagey game. Uh, I was, I think we were fairly evenly matched all game and I was in a reasonably good position uh, until I decided I wanted to push the game forward a bit and took a risky charge, which didn't pay off. And then he was able to swamp me and get quite a handy victory in the end. Round five, uh, again, you'll hear this list later in, in the episode was against Tony Windmill with his herd. I was very lucky to get away with this game for a draw. This was Smoke and Mirrors. And so it came down to basically we each had all of our own tokens and coming into the last round, we were competing for a one of mine. Tony was able, at the end of round six, it was a it's a draw. Uh, we rolled for seven, uh, which we went to and he was able to change uh, charge a regiment of my paladin knights, which was holding a token with both Moonfang and a horde of lichens with the Brew of Sharpness. Uh, he did plenty of damage, enough to kill them, and but then double won it. Uh, and then when I was hitting back next turn, uh, he managed to have enough unit strength that he was going to win anyway. I think I did about, it must have been about five damage or something, not a hell of a lot. 
and I needed a nine twice on the nerve roll, which I got to take off the lichen horde, which meant I still claimed that token and walked away with a tie. Uh, so very lucky there, and Tony got the slightly winning tie of 11-9. And then my final game was against a really nice bloke named Sam Panton, who was new to the game. Uh, he was playing Rats. Uh, his list was two hordes of spear warriors, both with plague pots, a horde of shock troops, both with plague pots, a troop of claw shots, a horde of nightmares with fire oil, three regiments of vermintide, a regiment of tunnel runners with brew of sharpness, two weapon teams, a death engine spewer, a brood mother, and a warlock with the inspiring talisman. So overall, this was a list that I knew could do a lot of hurt for me. I was a little bit worried about the, uh, a little bit worried about the amount of nerve in the in the various hordes combined with the shooting. Uh, but terrain really probably was to my advantage and I was able to get a lot of cover in this in this game. Uh, we were finishing off on Dominate and I knew that if I could just take out his big hordes and Sam probably spread his hordes out, he had one on each flank and one in the centre, whereas for Dominate I, I think he probably should have just plonked them all in the middle and said try and get through this. And so that meant I could hold him off on each flank and then just compete with unit strength for the middle while my artillery did a little bit of heavy lifting for me which again in this game they managed to um and so i managed to withstand the shooting and then block up his flanks enough that he couldn't get back towards the middle and i won that game nicely in a think what i think was a 16-5 and that was the end of my event so i ended up with two wins a draw and three losses um so overall, not too shabby, but I came in 18th out of 29. So somewhere towards the middle of the field, which when you're playing, you know, I mean, I'm not too fussed about the results, but, you know, I thought was good enough. So now that I've taken you through my games, I'm going to slide into the interviews. We'll take a short break, actually, and then we'll slide into the interviews and you'll hear from the people of Clash of Kings Australia and then finishing off with the big interview with the master himself. Jeffrey Trash. I'm Ronnie from Mountain Games, and you're listening to Counter Charge. So here we are at Clash of Kings Australia 2021, and I'm with relatively new player Owen Jones, who's come down from Sydney for the event. Now, don't let his accent fool you. He might, might sound British, but uh, he's actually a good guy, and we've claimed him as Australian now. So, Owen, the, uh, let's, let's start with a little bit on who you are, where you're from, because what's interesting about you is you've never been a tabletop wargamer before and really only got into it over lockdown. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me on. So I think uh, just towards the, the start of last year, uh, family were getting a bit fed up with all the board games I kept wanting to play. <laughs> so uh, I actually came down and checked out CanCon last year mm-hmm. and liked the look of the Kings of War. Uh, I think the, the armies, but also the players, seemed a bit more mature than some of the other games going on. Okay. Uh, a lot friendlier as well to talk to. I like the, uh, uh, I guess, the, the rank and flank style of wargaming. Um, for some reason, I guess we're all geeks, so that appealed to me as well. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, so then lockdown started and I thought, yeah, why not? Let's jump in on that. And give me some time to paint. And obviously thought I'd have a whole period to paint and painted about half my army in a year and then the other half in two weeks to come down for this tournament. Yep. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And so, yeah, so there was something about the rank and flank for you that drew you more than, say, the round base round basey skirmish type games yeah. the attraction for me was the tactics uh, rather than spending money to get the best army or if the army's changing all the time 
it felt like the fairest, you know, do some research, it felt like the fairest uh, game system. Uh, they're trying to make it fair and they had a rules committee that was the actual players, not the company, trying to make it as fair as possible. Uh, so then they just meant, you know, what goes on at the table and obviously the luck of the dice as well, um, which you never get away from in a, in a war game. But uh, it felt like the tactics is what appealed to me. Okay, great. And so, yeah, that was all stuff that you checked out before deciding to buy in. So that all came into your decision. That and uh, the look of the Ogre Palace Guard for some reason. <laughs> uh, I, I like the look of the models. Uh, those are nicer. I, I, coming into this, I you know, had this, this vision of charging knights in across the table, but knights are a lot harder to use than, than they look. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so was it the Ogre Palace Guard themselves that led you to starting Basalia? Yeah, yeah. those and the knights, yeah. And, yeah. and then I thought Elohi as well, but... Then again, once you get into it, and you realise a bit more of the pros and cons of different things and the cost of the NOI. Yeah. yeah. So what's interesting about you uh, uh, in, in regards to that as well is that you wouldn't have played many on-table games over that lockdown period, obviously. So I'd, I'd imagine less than five. Yes, three games. Okay. Um, so I know that we had you on UB a bit. So most of your games were on UB. As a new player, how was that in terms of being able to develop, I guess, an immersion for the game and, and a love for the game. Did you find it a positive or a negative experience? Negative compared to real-life games, I think, yeah. yeah. It's a lot harder to get into the immersion of it. Yeah, and so now that you've experienced tabletop gaming, would you still would you still use UB and things like that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. If yeah. you can't get to someone to play in the real life, yeah, absolutely use UB, yeah. And I'll still, if Clarky runs another ROI... Yeah. I'll definitely be in, into that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so you brought your base aliens down today. They've just beat me on the tabletop with my brother Mark. So uh, well done. You know, I was I actually just let you in, of course. You know, I just just thought you needed a boost. Yeah, but <laughs> you were taking your TO responsibilities a bit too seriously. <laughs> Threw away a unit here or there yeah. <laughs> just to make sure I had a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thanks. If I've used uh, more than thirty minutes on my clock, I've I've had a bad game. So, <laughs> um, so do you want to give us a little run through your list? And maybe tell us kind of probably what you think has been your star performer for the four games so far. Sure. Uh, so I've got the men at arms swordsmen. They're kind of aimed to just hang at the back or just sit somewhere awkward to get people out of position. And they're in a regiment. They're in a yeah. regiment, yep. Then I've got the two regiments of paladin foot guard, um, defense five, so no crushing. I was unsure whether to use those or the spearmen, but it ended up going with them, hoping they would survive a bit longer. Uh, then the Sisterhood Infantry Horde with Makwa's Potion of the Caterpillar, so they've got the Pathfinder. Yep. Uh, three Gur Panthers troops, two Ogre Palace Guards, one with the Boots of Striding and one with the Stay Stone. Erhalohi, uh, 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 a Priest with Bane Chant and the Country Staff, a War Wizard with the Boomstick for Lightning Bolt 7 in total. And, and Naeus as well. So yeah. 13 units in total with unit strength 24. So if I only let you pick one unit as the star of the four games, what would you be picking? Probably the Sisterhood Infantry as my favourite. Because they just did 12 wounds of a dra- on my dragon in, uh, in, in one round. We literally just said, well, the average would be 12, and your eyes went, what? <laughs> and then I rolled 12, yeah, yeah, so I was happy with that. Yeah, um, yeah. And the Ogres, bloody Ogres, they kept played against Tony. And uh, rolled double ones twice on one of his units that was devastated. And then he wavered my ogres. Yeah, right. And in another game, I've had my ogres wavered twice again as well. So they keep sitting around yeah. wavered. Although your staying zone paid for itself in our game. That's, that's true. Yes, it yes. did. Yeah. 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 And so being your, this is your first in-person tournament, isn't it? Yeah. What have you found good about it? And maybe what has been negative, if anything? I'm sure there's nothing, you know, but... 
uh, the heat is yeah. the only negative thing. I think <laughs> the, the sweat box. Yeah. But uh, you guys have done a good job with fans and aircon, so appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, it's been a, a really great venue. Everyone's really friendly. Um, the the kitchen staff are really nice. I mean, it must be a long day for them. He had his wife here with a, a three month old and a four year old all day, uh, but they were great. And uh, yeah, it's just a, a good friendly scene, really. Yeah. yeah okay. And what would you recommend about it to others? The, well, just I, tournament. Yeah, maybe a tournament in general. Yeah. I'd recommend getting to know Matt. <laughs> he's, a, he's a great guy. Uh, there's, there's a few uh, we're extroverts uh, and the road people in, and they're really nice. Uh, so appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, if you're thinking about getting into wargaming, yeah, give me a call. Give, give Matt uh, a, a message on Facebook. Uh, I'm sure he'll rope you in and show you the ropes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I always need more friends on Facebook. I don't, I don't have that many. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so for our, uh, for our friends overseas, uh, the two days here have been 37 and 38 degrees Celsius if you're using the proper scale. And if you're using the fake scale, that's close to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's been pretty warm. Uh, we're in a different venue to usual. So normally we would be absolutely baking by now, but it probably hasn't been too bad. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Owen. Good luck with your last two games. And uh, we hope to have you back. Thanks, Matt. Good luck to you too. I'm Elliot Morris, the acceptable face of the Northern Kings and new RC member, and you're listening to Countercharge. Uh, here we are with another new voice for the Countercharge audience, uh, the old man of wargaming, Tony Windmill. Tracy's older than me. <laughs> Is he? Tracy older than you? Yeah, probably. He looks a bit more grizzled. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tony, you've been wargaming for a long time. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into gaming originally, and uh, what you're doing with Kings of War now? So it would be 1999, I suppose. I had a colleague, Dave Gray, who was playing naval war games on his um, lounge room floor. Uh, so we went over and looked at that. I thought it was interesting. That got me interested in sort of history. Uh, so I sort of got involved in uh, Warhammer after that, uh, just just as a tournament called DogCon in Sydney was starting, which ran for about 10, 11 years. It was sort of in competition with CanCon, uh, run by a club called Dogs of War. So I went up there. Uh, I was very, very non-competitive. I was guaranteed to be bottom third, uh, usually down right down the bottom of the table, but I really enjoyed it. I was mainly there to go to the pub afterwards, um, but it was a good lot of fun. Once a year, off to Sydney, 60 to 100 people. Yeah, and I sort of loved the, loved the camaraderie and the, um, the strategy and the fluff and all that sort of stuff. So, And then you sort of fast forward, we played, uh, you know, um, Warhammer for years until they blew up you know, the Warhammer world, and then uh, Manic did this stunning marketing stunt of going to the um, World Masters three months after they blew it up and handing free rule books to the top six people from every country in the world who all came back to their respective um, countries. And then, you know, the, the marketing uh, outcome from that was stunning, and that basically pivoted the whole of Australia into Kings of War. And I love the fact that you have dioramas, you don't have individual models, and you get to think while the other person's having their turn, so it really suited my play style, and yeah, the rest is history. So it sounds like you started more with a historical bent. What took you into more fantasy? So naval, I'm assuming, was more historical, and then and then what pivoted into more the fantasy setting? I, that was really the guys I was wargaming with, Dave Gray in particular, were pretty serious war historians. Dave Gray's personal library is bigger than... ADFA's library for war history. ADFA's our, our military college for all three armed services here. So Dave's a bit of a historian. That sort of got me started. But then 
Um, Warhammer was really what dragged me in because I was a huge fan of Lord of the Rings and other fantasy books, and that just sort of the fluff just grabbed me. I just love the idea of fighting with orcs, to be honest. <laughs> I love the feel of them. I love the savagery. I love the, the nonsense. I love, you know, the wireness of it all, as they said in the day. Uh, so it was really the fantasy realm that sort of attracted me. Yeah. So, and we've just finished our game. So you said in 1999 you went to DogCon and, you know, you were seriously non-competitive. And so 22 years later... You're still down the bottom with me. <laughs> yeah, still seriously <laughs> non-competitive. I've had a, I've had a bad run. Um, I've played uh, at least three people who've uh, been down the bottom of the table because I've only had one game while I've had four. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't have a very good day yesterday. I tend, to, I tend to play reasonably well when I'm on my own, but when there's a room full of people, I get a bit distracted. So <laughs> I'm watching the people instead of the game. Uh, unless I'm playing you, Matt, in which case I focus like, like hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only reason our game just ended up in a draw is because Tony double won the last unit to give him a win, and then I needed a nerve roll of nine twice and managed to get it, which brought me back to a draw. Yeah, so your list is a pretty good matchup for my brother Mark list. Why don't you run us through what you're playing today and what's in your list? Uh, two hordes of lichen, uh, with one with sharpness, one with strength, three harpies, forest shamblers. I got a druid on a horse with bane chant, and I got the wilt father because everybody's got the wilt father. Forest Warden's got Bane Chan and then Moonfang, who's mandatory. Yeah. I don't think you've ever played a herd list without Moonfang in it, have you? I don't think anybody's ever played Lycans <laughs> without Moonfang. I don't know why you would do that. Yeah. Um, I'm on the fence on the Wilt Father. It's sort of if it's an aggressive stance. If you if you want to keep things alive, particularly the Shamblers, then then the the sort of lesser tree herd is probably better. But yeah, I like this list because I get to control the board. And it's, uh, if I get first turn, I'll probably win. If I get second turn, I'll probably lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what's, what's the strategy? With all the speed, Vanguard up pretty much as, as far as you can go, well, Scout up these days, as far as you can go and then backed up by the Lycans and just get over the other side of the board as quickly as you can? Uh, yeah, so t- typically pick a flank. Uh, the idea is fight half the guy's army, uh, finish that off and then turn and face the rest because if you don't get through that half of the army in the first turn then, or second turn, you're kind of in trouble. So shamblers up the middle, fast as they can, um, lichens around the flank, and then turn a flank. Yep. Okay. And so uh, how's that strategy of taking one half of the board and then turning and facing gone for you so far? I played against Craig Smelly yesterday, uh, lined up undead, and I absolutely played the, the strategy, uh, but I picked the wrong units. So instead of deleting things that I ran into with a couple of lichen units and a a shambler and a lichen unit, they stuck, and then I just got flanked the buggery and he beat me. Um, uh, and, and similar for the... There was one game I played first up. Instead of choosing an open flank for some stupid reason, I deployed in the walled-in corner and then, you know, stepped forward underneath a, a, um, a hill. Uh, I was playing Palace Guard uh, and uh, Basileans, so it was, it was Owen. He, you can't make mistakes with him. Uh, so he ripped me a new one. Uh, I can't remember the third game. But, yeah, basically, I, I either cocked the strategy up through deployment or my, my, you know, my plan to take off half the army and turn two or three just failed miserably. <laughs> and so, in general, you said you're not sold on the Wiltfather, so obviously he wouldn't be the star performer in your list. What's, what's generally the performer? Oh, yeah, Moonfang and the Brewer Sharpness Lycans. Yeah. Like, the Brewer Sharpness Lycans will take off nearly anything on their own. You put Moonfang in with it, there's nothing that will stand. And backed up by the Druid. Yeah, yeah, Bane Chan behind. Yeah, there's, they're very, like, maybe maybe the Horde of Ogres or a Horde of Knights 
might survive, but there's enough front on those to put something else in as well. Yeah. Um, it's just a big, big alpha strike with lots of range. Yeah. And so would you say that in general is there a particularly bad matchup for this quick herd list? Oh, yeah, undead. undead. Heaps of things that regen hard to kill, stuff that I can't grind. Yeah. So like fearless stuff. Yeah. yeah. I just I cannot grind. Yeah. If, I don't, if I don't pop it, then it'll just keep coming at me. I've got regen, but, you know, if you're grinding against bollocks or something like that, you're in a bit of trouble. And this is your, you've been to all our Clash of Kings, I'm pretty sure. I don't think you've missed any. Uh, this is a, you know, a much nicer building than where we usually are. Uh, what do you generally enjoy about Clash of Kings? Uh, the people, obviously. I'm a, well, I, I love a room full of people. Uh, but it's interesting, this year, or the year just gone, I've played quite a bit in Universal Battle. So you sort of meet a lot of these guys through, through that remote connection. And we're talking a lot on, on WhatsApp and things like that. Um, so to have those conversations over the whole year and then see people face to face is is really cool. It feels like a really strong community, and you know there's no there's, a, there's no idiots in this room. Everybody's really nice, so yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, and we had a good social last night. We were here till about what ten ten thirty, something like that. Yep, help yep. you helped me drink seven hundred dollars away on the bar. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, uh, Capital Physio. Um, yeah, so half the boys played Azul, which is what we play, which is a brilliant game, and then. Uh, the rest of the crowd played poker in a move that I'm sure does not surprise anybody in the world. Jeff Trace won the poker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, only one game to go, game to go Tone. So uh, good luck with the last game. Hopefully you get another winner. Yeah, thanks. I'm off the bottom of the table, that's for sure. <laughs> this is John Fawkes. I'm one of the admins on uh, Kings of War. Oh, Kings of War. Sorry. I just need to ban somebody. There you go. Out. And welcome to Council Charge. Welcome back, and I'm here with Roxanne Gallagher, who might, some of you might know from the Facebook group page, who posts on our hobby challenge with her Goblin Army, and is usually pretty involved, and one of the two ladies playing at the tournament today, which is great. So, Roxanne, why don't you tell us first a little bit about yourself and how you got into gaming? Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, I have been gaming since about six months before CanCon last year. So, one of the blokes um, out in parks was keen to get some people playing Kings of War, um, got me involved and got me into painting before playing. So I enjoyed that. It's like, well, why not Why not play? And I was like, okay, let's try that. Um, so I came as a very green player with my green dudes um, to CanCon last year and had an absolute blast. Haven't played a game with goblins all year and I'm back here with them again for CanCon this year. So, yeah. Yep. Been- so you don't get much gaming in back home? Uh, no, not a whole lot. Um, COVID has certainly made that um, pretty hard. Um, but, yeah, I could have jumped on Universal Battle, but I haven't yet, so that might be the next thing. Yep. And would you say you enjoy the gaming side more or the hobby side? What's what's your first love in, in gaming? Oh, I think I'd have to probably say the hobby side. I really enjoy um, working on, you know, diorama basing and that sort of thing when I get a chance and the painting. But the camaraderie and being here with everybody and playing is still fun. I mean, I'm on five losses at the moment, but, you know, <laughs> five excellent losses, yeah. if I may say so. Um, and just having a blast, so that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Well, and hard to kind of improve your skills if it's hard to get a game in as well, isn't it? So Roxanne's from uh, a regional area of Australia, so three hours from Canberra. But besides that, that's pretty much the nearest thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, a long way to whoop whoop. Uh, 
yeah, that's that's pretty much it. The the biggest centres like Bathurst or Dubbo have a fairly good gaming community, but mostly 40k and that sort of thing. So over a few Kings of War players in between, and now a couple of blokes who come over from Bathurst or Dubbo to play if we get a chance. But it's very hard to get us all aligned with the time where we can carve out a few hours for a couple of games. That's yeah. worth the travel time. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, on top of juggling families, etc. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, well, why don't you tell us what you uh, brought today? Uh, run us through your list. Sure. So I bought a list of things I had painted, Matt, um, <laughs> which has turned out to be a really bad idea. But I'm fielding two two Luggett Gang regiments, both with the Pup upgrade. Um, one of them has the Meat of Madness, so it gives them their extra wild charge. And one with Liliana's Tear, which was completely useless for all five games that I've played, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, two units of Trolls, two regiments of Fleabag Riders, also with the more pop-up. Um, a Minter Mob Regiment, two big Rock Throwers, a Winget with Eye in the Sky, a King um, with the Sacred Horn and Jarrus Pendant, so a nine-inch Headstrong Aura, um, which was also fairly useless all game because he died a lot. Um, and my King on Chariot with Macquarie's Potion of the Caterpillar and two Wizards with Bane Chant, one mounted with Inspiring Talisman. Okay. And tell me, what do you like about the – well, you've given it a name too actually first. Queen Grizzle's Gizzards. Yes. Tell me about that. Uh, okay. So in the lore, Queen Grizzle um, held power for approximately a couple of days, I think, um, before she got blown up by one of her own, like, blasters. So I, I thought a nod to her. <laughs> so yeah, so there, there's, no, there's no personal connection with that story, being blown up by your own blaster at some point? No, not yet. Um, <laughs> not by yet. my whole army, maybe, Matt. Um, just, a, a, you know, I like to lose and lose spectacularly. Um, but, no, I thought a, a nod to the only female king of the goblins um, so far in the lore. So yeah. um, I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, great. And so, in general, what do you like about the goblins? So they're your first and only army so far, right? Um, no, I have I have a um, uh, Order of the Green Lady army on oh, the right. go, but they're not painted. Um, so the point of them is to look pretty, and they're not pretty enough yet. So they're not here. My first love is goblins, and will always be goblins. Um, I've always been into fantasy and into lore and into um, bits and pieces like that. But I love that they're just tricky little blighters who like to just run around and make mischief. And um, I find remind you of your husband. No, me. <laughs> no, no, no. It's me, Matt. Um, no, I'm the mischievous one. Um, so I think on a personal level I connect with the goblins. <laughs> you connect with I goblins. do. Yeah. Um, but I think I like the painting potential. Um, yes, it's a lot of green, but there's also a lot of um, potential for you to sort of take it in any direction you want. I mean, mine have, a, you know, the classic red and blue thing going on. I have a pride wagon slasher in the works. Um, so looking forward to having... Um, having some of that on the table. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I like the goblins because they're fun <laughs> to play. Yeah, great. Um, and we've talked before on the show about um, women in gaming. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your point of view. I mean, obviously, it's only the Australian scene. We can't really speak for worldwide. Have you noticed, I mean, one, have you noticed it, I guess, to be a welcoming scene? And, two, are there any issues you would bring up I'm, I'm interested in? Um, look, I think it's very welcoming. I mean, I've been to, to two um, Clash of Kings now and have felt very welcome both times and, and not at all like, oh, I'm the token female, so I'll be easy to beat or anything like that, regardless of the fact that I'm easy to beat. <laughs> uh, but I think I think um, even in our local scene, like it was just we want people to play. We don't care who you are and what your background is. Let's just get in and have a game. And I think that's um, that's quite indicative of the Australian 
mm. gaming community. It's just yep. like get in and have a go. I, I have come up against in the past um, with other game mechanics that, oh, it'll be too complicated, you won't like it. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, oh, that's that's great, but I'm not I'm not an idiot, I'm just a woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but I found definitely this scene has just been, even online, online community, very embracing, very happy to, you know, give credit where credit's due with your painting, with your hobby. Um Everyone here has been fantastic. So, yeah, I think it's good. What do you think the barriers are for women getting into board gaming? Do you think there is a general it's just not as interesting or do you think there are some significant barriers because it is, you know, majority men as, as it stands right now? I, think- I say men but boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's be honest there, Matt. Um, look, I think, I think the barrier, and I know this was true for me, was thinking that all gaming was Warhammer yeah. and that, my my personal experience of being um, in and around that scene is that it's not welcoming to women, fairly derogatory comments that happen, and I just didn't like being there. So I was apprehensive coming to my first Clash of Kings because I was like, didn't know what to expect. I was compl- like, that completely changed. So um, I think that maybe maybe there might be a misconception about the treatment of women in gaming by women themselves who may or may or may not want to be involved um, or that, you know, they have to have a boyfriend or a partner who's in like gaming already so that they've got someone to go with or that sort of thing. So I, I think the barriers are probably just that misconception more than anything else. I don't, I don't think that there's actually anything about necessarily the game mechanics or the people in general that is bad. Um, I think there's, maybe there's a misconception that women will find it interesting. I find it interesting. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, well, that's really interesting. Thanks for that. So we've got one game to go and then uh, and then we'll be done. So good luck for your last game and we hope to see you next year. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the wooden swing. <laughs> Thanks, Don't Matt. worry, there'll be a healthy prize. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hi, this is Rob Berman and you're listening to Countercharge. So we're uh, awaiting the going into the final round and I'm here with the current table leader, Mr. Michael Gould, who you actually heard from on our coverage last year, who talked about, I don't know, whatever one of the 33 armies he had go on the go at the time, because he is a notorious man with gaming ADD. And uh, if you're friends with Michael on Facebook, you'll be hit with five lists from five different races in the same day. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? <laughs> I can't remember if we went into your gaming origin story last time, Michael. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, absolutely. I was into gaming probably about year seven. Um, when I was in high school, uh, met some guys, um, like just you know, different people that had similar interests, like sci-fi, fantasy, and they had a wargaming club, different ages, like year 7, 8, 9, 10. Um, really great group of guys. They um, basically had a couple of different Warhammer armies. It was Warhammer Fantasy primarily. Uh, got us all into the hobby, let us know points, how much to spend, good places locally to, to buy, because it was, wasn't much of an international or kind of interstate shipping at that time. And haven't looked back since then. I've been playing fantasy for you know a long, long time. All different systems, uh, Warhammer, you know, of course. Uh, played you know a couple other ones as well, and then got into Kings of War when the world went boom. Um, other than that, I really love historicals, Napoleonics, you name it, mate. I'll play. I'll roll the dice. As long as you get a chance to talk and people get stuck listening to me, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for you, I think it's uh, it's about having a captive audience, isn't it? Because it's hard to make friends outside of gaming. Right, that's my motto in life, you know. I just say, I've even got the dungeon at home, so you know, why not? Yeah, talk to someone when, while they can't get away. <laughs> it rubs the lotion on its skin, you know, that's my life motto. <laughs> so you're playing dwarfs today, Michael, a pretty mixed arm list. Do you want to run us through it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got Ironclad Horde, uh, nothing on them. 
We've got a shield breaker horde with the dragon shard shield. 50-50 on that so far, but it has gone off really well in one game. Uh, Berserker Brock Riders with the Meat of Madness. Really rate that item on them. You know, just keep the lanes open. Don't worry about terrain. Um, Earth Elementals with nothing on them. I have two Mastiff Hunting Packs. Um, I have two Iron Belcher Cannons. Two Iron Belcher Organ Guns. The Steel Behemoth upgraded to Golox Fury. Uh, the Dwarf Lord on Large Beast with Blade of the Beast Slayer. And the Warsmith with Sacred Horn. Um, I'd probably drop the Blade of the Beast Slayer and take the Hex uh, Magic item. I think that's the only thing I'm going to change on the list. Everything else, really happy with. Yeah, right. Interesting you got the two units of Chaffs of Mastiffs. Whose idea was that? Uh, that was yours because oh, right. um, you looked at one of my five lists and <laughs> just said it needs Mastiffs. And, um, you know, I, th I think you know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, results would not say that at the moment. <laughs> I'm slowly uh, craw crawling my way out of a dungeon at the moment. Yeah. Um, so what's the what's the star performer so far in the list? Is it a bit of a mix? or Golox. Golox. Golox hand da hands down. Has it died in any game? Uh, once. Yep. Died once and that was against... Chris Kellahan, and that match was probably the toughest match I've had. Like, I thought he had me dead to rights, and then thankfully Dice just started to come back for me and away from him. Nice pun, because he was playing Empire of Dust too, so dead to rights. Yeah, yeah. You, you're welcome, mate. Comes yeah. naturally. Well done, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did it without even cracking a smile. Um, so, <laughs> so with this list, uh, so with Golox specifically, what is it about Golox that's making it such a star performer? Um, combination of the defense, uh, his ranged attacks, even though he doesn't have steady aim, uh, what I've been doing primarily is if I've got some solid terrain, you know, that's close to my deployment zone, first turn will be advanced four inches, get in the terrain, get the, get the full coverage, so, you know, more than 50%, and then I will just sit there for most of the game, depending on the mission, and just pour fire out. And it just, people underestimate just how strong his shooting is. And I've one-shot at about six different units this, this tournament. Very lucky rolling, but when it goes off, you know, it pays dividends. And the Warsmith with the um, Elite, the Aura, which expands his Elite range, really boosts Golok. So to be Golok with Warsmith. So. All right, so standing there and spewing fire. It sounds like a conversation with you, actually, most conversations. Absolutely. Nothing yeah. but spitting fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you've, you've had a pretty tough run to get to the top. So you've had a couple of really tight games. Uh, you just played Ian Wood, who was the previous, uh, who was on top, going into that round. Yep, how'd that game go? That was really tough, really, really good player. Um, in all honesty, and it's you know, not blowing smoke anywhere, if we'd gone to turn seven, I wouldn't have won. It was it was a 5-0 to me in turn six, but turn seven, he would have killed Golok, would have killed a couple other units, would have taken those points, would have won the game. So it really came down to a 50-50 roll because we both just, it was I think it was only like 150 points dead between us. So it was a very, very tight match. Really good player. Yeah, great. And does anything else stand out from your previous games? Um, I'd say Chris Kellahan. I'd say the game with him, really, really, I was just really struggling the whole game because he was manoeuvring really well, had to constantly think. It's the closest I've come to running out of time on the clock. I was down to about two minutes on the clock, and I've never got that low on the clock. So yeah. he played a very mean game. He's really improved, hasn't he? Oh, you know yeah. what? For someone that just was so subpar previously, he's phenomenal. <laughs> you know, and I can say that because we're mates. But you know, he was terrible before. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like yeah. But I wonder if it's nothing. working on the rules committee for Vanguard. Maybe has improved him. I think it's just you know sooner or later the dice gods feel sorry for you, and um, you know they just yeah no he's he's a, he's a good player. He just seems to get shit luck against me normally, and thank God it turned around for me again in this game. Yeah, and I don't 
I haven't done the last round draw yet, do we? So do you have an idea of who you might play? I'd love it if you just called the tournament now, but I'm guessing Jeffrey Trash, and he is just a mean player. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I mean, what I've heard is you're just saying you've got him on toast. I do. You know, I like the mind games, so I tried to find out if he had allergies. Wouldn't tell me anything. <laughs> you know, I'm just, yeah. I think I'm just going to spray him in the eyes with um, sanitizer before we start. Whatever works, man, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you're not first, you're last. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, actually, let's um, have a couple more Kings of War questions. So, because you said you've been into Napoleonic's various yep. historicals. What is it that makes you love Kings? It's such a simple set of rules that's got a lot of depth. You know, it sounds corny, but it really does. It's a really, really good community. And I haven't, you know, I can count on one hand the number of players I've played that I wouldn't want to play again. And, you know, that's, you know, you don't find that in many, in many systems. You know, everyone's a really got a good, relaxed attitude. Canberra community is fantastic. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a really good system. I really love it. Very simple. You can use whatever figures you want, you know, good bunch of guys. You can't ask for more than that. Well, I mean, to be honest, we've been trying to get rid of you from our Monday night gaming for a while, but it hasn't worked. It's never, you know, <laughs> I know where you guys are. I'll always turn up. <laughs> you know you it's know. every Monday. So. Yeah, it's my motto in life. You know, that's what I do. I just turn up to places and, you know, they're just too embarrassed to tell me to go. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what about uh, Clash of Kings Australia? What is it that you like about that? Um, Clash of Kings Australia, it's just the mix of players. There's no one go-to army list. There's not a – it's a really diverse, you know, spread of armies. There's a, you know, it's a lot of different play styles. And what I like about it is you're not going to bring one army and beat everyone. You're really going to face an army that could be, you know, the boogeyman army for you and you're going to really struggle against it. I've managed to duck the one that I think was the boogeyman for me, which was Night Stalkers um, from Julian. I think if I went up against that, I would have got yeah, completely leveled. Four machines. For, you know, four lightning bolt spearing. It's just a purely cheesy list. <laughs> it should be ashamed, but, you know, what can you do? Not everyone has the guts to take war machines, yeah, so, exactly. you know, they've got to bring lightning bolts. Disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, and what about the TO of CanCon on, on the sexy scale of 0 to 10? 0 is like roadkill and 10 the most amazing you've ever seen. Where does he sit? Well, I'll take anything, so you're a 10. You know, like, yeah, that's uh, for fair. For me, everything's a 10. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take that yeah. regardless. Yep. All right. Well, good luck with your last game, mate. Cheers, Hope you get a good result. Oh, mate. You know, I'll, if, you know, if I lose, I'll just say I've got something in my eye, not come back. Yeah. All, right. All good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Michael. Cheers, mate. Do you take delight in playing with friends and their toys in a safe place free of judgment? Countercharge after dark. It's where magic happens. Check the show notes and Facebook group announcements for the Discord link. And welcome back. And now for the grand final, we are joined by his most royal magnificence, the grand Pumbaa of the Australian scene, the Dalai Lama of Kings of War, Mr. Jeffrey Trash. Cheers for joining me, Trashy. How are you, mate? It's a bit hard to, to comment after a, an introduction like that. I, I do like the Grand Pooh Bar, but it's <laughs> yeah. one of my favourites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out of the Flintstones. Yeah, yeah, I exactly. remember that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I've already filled the listeners in on a few details from the event, but uh, before we go further, I might again recount the top three, their tournament points and your overall yep. record. Uh, so for the weekend and uh, for the listeners' sake, uh, this um, this interview is being recorded a week later, but uh, you came in first with 92 tournament points. 
Uh, as always, Tracy managing to kind of not be the top anywhere near the top on attrition, just playing the scenario with 6,735 points of attrition. We had Julian Merkett only three points behind you. Uh, on 89 and he had 9,170 yep. points of attrition. Yeah, so he was easily the most attrition points uh, for the weekend. And uh, then yep. in third, we had who you played on the top table in the final round, Michael Geld with 85 points and 6,845 points of attrition. Uh, so we had you and then two locals. Yeah, that's yeah, it is good. I mean, obviously, we dominated in terms of the, the numbers there, but, you know, it's yeah. still good. Still good to see our boys getting up there. Uh, and in terms of how you went overall, you had five wins and a loss in the end, which is that – how many times have you won now, Tracy? Is it two or three, the Clash of Kings? Clash of Kings, uh, two. Two, yeah. okay. I've had two seconds and two firsts. Yeah, okay, all right. And I think the first year I went in, I was fourth or fifth. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, since then, it's just been first or second. Yep. And the first time that you won it, did it it take 6-0 to get to number one? Because it it didn't this year, and all of the top three had lost a game. Every other year, even the ones where I came second, I went undefeated. So I I haven't lost a game since about three or four years ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. So... Yeah, but because of my uh, lower attrition, that's dropped me back. Yeah, whereas it didn't seem to affect you this year, although just right because it was only three points in it. So, oh, yeah. yeah, and that might actually be the tightest one we've had for a while, I think. Yeah, I think uh, if it wasn't for the uh, bigger wins early in the piece on the first day, that uh, probably pushed me over the line. Yeah. Um, all right, Tracy. Well, why don't you run us through your list? First of all, maybe just run through top to bottom and then we might circle back and go through the tactics a little bit. All right, yeah. Well, I had uh, Forces of the Abyss. I had three regiments of Abyssal Ghouls, a troop of Gargoyles, uh, two Molochords, uh, one with Sir Jesse's Boots of Striding and one with Macquarie's Potion of the Caterpillar. I had uh, two Tortured Soul Hordes, uh, three Abyssal Warlocks, and I put Drain Life on each of those, um, Heliquin Blood Mask with the Crystal Pendant, <laughs> and the Manifestation of Bale. Right. Uh, so I've got a couple of questions straight up before we kind of go into the tactics thing. So yeah. we've had a little bit of a talk online, uh, as in not you and I, but there's been a bit of a talk on, you know, on things like faster units, maybe not going for the Pathfinder and maybe directing those towards more infantry-based units and maybe go for power-up. That's what you've done on your Molochs. Have you been using that combination for a while or and, and is it literally about getting them where you need them to? Uh, talk to me about the, the items on your Molochs. Right. Well, normally I would go with no items. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was I, w- I was playing either a, a tournament game or a fun game. I can't remember. But I had the points left over, so I put the, the items on. It might have even been called arms because of the uh, so much of the terrain there that I felt I needed to put it on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked really well. Um I was quite surprised. I'm not, I'm not used to magic <laughs> items. But, um, yeah, I was I was quite impressed. And I don't have a lot of fast stuff. I do have the Tortured Souls in the list. Um, but it's, you know, spending extra points on them, I don't really feel is 
is worth it. I, I sort of calculate how much difference it's going to make in a fight. Um, and then I'll say whether I need to put something on. With the Mollocks going from threes to fours, say going into terrain without the item, um, I'm usually okay with that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm normally trying to multi-charge things and I, I work most things against defense five. So instead of say 12 hits at crushing two might be eight wounds, I'd be looking at nine hits at crushing two would be six wounds. So a two-wound difference, um, obviously that can make a big difference, but normally in my books I just think, well, you know, half the time they're going to be charged first because they are slower than the fast things. And uh, if I'm not being charged first, then I'm, I'm uh, hitting on threes anyways. And if I do charge first, then normally I'll, I'll uh, be grinding with them and I'll normally win that anyway. So... Um, they are definitely handy items, but, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, you don't regard them as critical. It's, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Well, but then you've got the, the ultimate item, the 50-pointer, the crystal pendant on the on the heliquid. Yeah. How did that come about? Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I just uh, I thought, oh, I really wanted to use it. And I did it in a, a practice game, and the person that I was playing against was – that uh, uh, psychologically it just threw them out. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like a flyer coming down your flank. It, it can throw your whole game plan. And I found the exact same thing with this. And with a blood mask, they're not that expensive. It's actually perfect to put it on because he's only 85 points. He's decent defence because he's defence 5, 11, 13 nerve, and he regenerates. So um, even trying to shoot him off before he gets in, which would be the normal ploy, um, doesn't work so well against him. And, uh, yeah, he, he really can make a difference. So he didn't in every game, but um, in most of the games, yeah, it was well worth it. Yeah, right. Okay, that's interesting. I, I feel we might see a little explosion of crystal pendants being used on the scene now, Tracy. <laughs> little tracer bullets. <laughs> So tell me about the overall tactics of the list, mate. Do you have a do you have a general approach with this list, or is it variable? Talk to me a little bit about that. Okay, well, I think every list is variable to a certain extent, depending on the scenario. Um, I try and build the list as we've spoken before to take most scenarios into account. So I look at trying to get a decent amount of unit strength and decent amount of drops. It's not a, a super large one for me. Uh, as far as numbers and unit strength, but uh, it's it's probably just above the average person's list. Um, so you've got to have a few cheaper units, which are the ghouls, so they're more the, the chaff or hold an objective type unit. Uh, the gargoyle, gargoyles, and troubly, as the chaff, uh, everyone knows how they work. The Mollocks, they're the main hitting power in the list, and they do a very good job of it. Just got to protect them because they are very easy to kill. Uh, the Tortured Souls Hordes, I was trying out regiments, but I didn't really have the models to represent it, but I had I had the models made up uh, for the Hordes. Um, and they were sort of like an in-between unit. Um they're too expensive to be chaff, but uh, a good little grinder on the right target. Um, and in the flank, they're going to to be uh, quite decent. They, they worked out quite well. The Abyssal Warlocks, obviously, for the inspiring in the list. 
um, shooting at, at the long range <clears throat> or at least within 18. And then I, I decided to try the drain lifer in close, which uh, was very effective. The blood mask, as we've gone through, he, he was uh, sort of everywhere or wherever I needed him. And the manifestation of Bale, still one of probably the best best thing in the list, being able to threaten the flanks and do his lightning bolt every time. Though he, I blame him, wasn't me rolling the, the dice, but it was uh, <laughs> Bale himself. Couldn't couldn't hit the side of a barn in the tournament. <laughs> but, uh, that that was with shooting in combat. Yeah. He did all right, but yeah, uh, shooting was woeful with it. And did you use his special rule at all? Disordering no, special rule. I've been using him for years, and I've still never used it. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't seem to get in in the position, and I'm either either the um, lightning bolts better, or you're charging type of thing. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Either that, or I forget. I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I've never used it. Okay. I'd love to. And with this um, exact exact list, have you played a lot with it? Um, no. No. Probably. Uh, I made it up the day before before <laughs> I came down. <laughs> but you so, you uh, you have played abyssals a bit though. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. 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 I played yeah. all the units. Yeah, just not I this just, list. I change. Yep. Yeah, I change lists every day, so it doesn't matter. As mm. I've said, it doesn't matter whether they win or lose. Mm. It's more the fun of uh, making up new lists. Yeah, well, new ideas. Well, maybe when that uh, prize money comes through, mate, you'll be able to get your regiments of tortured souls. <laughs> well, although my son, my son's already claimed it. He's uh, <laughs> he, he's doing most of the modelling and the painting, etc. It's good to have him back into the uh, good into the game, yeah. and hopefully, uh, I'll get him down for a tournament eventually. Oh, that sounds great. That's get him good. on a day where he doesn't have to work. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Although I don't know how I feel about another trash on the scene. <laughs> yeah, well, we used to win quite a few doubles when he was a uh, young teenager. Mm. So uh, obviously he's not a teenager anymore. And um, I've already had a couple of games with him and he beat me on one of them. So wow. it's not bad for someone to play yeah. for a while. Absolutely. And so with this list, Trashy, what does it do particularly well? And, and conversely, maybe what doesn't it do well? Well, it's an, an all-round list, so it does does a reasonable amount of shooting, not a lot, but a reasonable amount, which can help force the fight. Mm. Um, good for chaffing up stuff. Uh, as I said, I built it for, for most of the scenarios. It, it had 23 unit strength, so I was all right on most of those sort of scenarios. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much an all-round list, so... It, it, does pretty well in most areas. The not fantastic against defense six, but not too bad. The mods tend to help there. Um, yeah, it's it, it does everything reasonably well. It's not great in any area, but it's it's reasonable in just about everything. Yeah, I find. So after playing the list all weekend across six games, is there anything straight up you'd change? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably try and um, get more of the gargoyles in and swap out the warlocks. Um, not the warlocks, the uh, abyssal ghouls. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how I'd do it because I'd have to find the right, I'd have to find the unlocks, etc., to get the balance. But the abyssal ghouls weren't doing the chaff job very well. Right. Because because of the speed, etc. So I couldn't always get them into into position 
to protect the Moloch's properly. So, and I didn't, once I'd put Drain Life on the Warlocks, I didn't want to use them as a chaff piece, which is how I normally use them. I'll, I'll shoot with them and then, if need to, I'll chaff with them because only 90 points. But being at 120 and Drain Life, I needed them after the charges. So that sort of threw me a little bit in the way I ran it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I'd do it. Well, you obviously adapted all right, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, what she can do. Yep. Um, and were there any scenarios that it really struggled with? Well, uh, the the game against Ian, which we'll go through, I, I struggled a bit there. Uh, I think not so much that my list um, wasn't good for it, that more that his list is perfect for it. So that, that was control. But, yeah, normally I think against most lists it would be okay in that as well. Mm-hmm. But ogres are extremely good at control. Everything scores. They got lots of good strong units. So. Yep. Uh, yeah. So struggled a bit there. Yep. All right. Well, we've talked about your list, so maybe let's go through your games and just pick out anything you remember yep. particularly. Uh, so first of all, we had you playing Mark Ward, who um, was coming back to the game after a while, so it was good to see Mark there. And the first scenario was Invade. Uh, Mark was playing Sylvankin. Uh, he had yeah. three Gladestalker regiments with the Deathroot Arrows, three hordes of Forest Shamblers, two Tree Herders with one upgraded to the Wiltfather, an Army Standard with Warbow, two Archmages on Horse with Banechant, and one with the Tome of Darkness. And one of the tree herders, I think, actually had Blade of Slashing. So t- tell us about this game. Well, I think Mark forgot Blade of Slashing most of the game. I don't remember, <laughs> him, remember him using it too much. I found the, the shooting did a little bit of damage to me, but not too much. And I was able to get up onto the, the archer units fairly quickly with the Tortured Souls and Bale. And I, I was just sort of held off as best I could against all the uh, tree men and the forest shamblers to start with. But I, I find forest shamblers, even with that vicious from the Wiltfather, are not an overly strong unit. They're great for scenario play, so good that way. But They do about as much damage as a dead fish, don't they? No, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And most comparable units, like large infantry units, are going to beat them in a fight, mm. one-on-one. So uh, once I got the shooting out of the way, I concentrated on them and uh, took all them out, and it was just the tree man and the wilt father standing at the end. So I, I tried tried at one stage to kill them, but I'd give up and took off across the board after that. Yeah, so your but, tactic was more to ignore them than anything once you'd, once, once you'd taken off the unit strength. Yeah, as best I could because um, obviously they attack you and you have to fight back. And, yep. Uh, but, yeah, wherever I could get onto the weaker targets, that's what I went for. And Mark's such a nice guy. You know, we, we pretty much just sat there and uh, chatted and pushed models around. So yeah. it was yeah. a really good way to start the days. Yeah, very nice guy. Yeah, he's a great bloke. All right, and you got a 19-2 in that, so that shot you straight up towards the top of the board. There were a couple of 20s in that first round, so you were right up there from the start. And then in round two, yep. you came up against Jonathan Turkic, who's a listener, so hey, John, uh, and who ended up coming in ninth, which is a great result for him. Uh, he yep. was playing Forces of the Abyss, and the scenario was Salt the Earth. 
He had a regiment of, of abyssal ghouls, two troops of gargoyles, two troops of flame bearers, two hordes of Molochs, one with meat of Magnus and, oh, sorry, both upgraded with Spoiler, uh, one with meat of Madness and one with Brew of Haste, uh, one regiment of abyssal horsemen, an abyssal fiend, three abyssal warlocks, one with Banechant, and a manifestation of Bale. So a couple of similar, similarities to your list and then a bit of difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, most people will work towards certain same areas in the list. I think even Ken's and mine had had a certain amount of similarities. Mm. Um, yeah, Jonathan was a, a good player. I think what what uh, made the difference there was the crystal pendant because he had his his horsemen and one of the Molochords, I can't remember which one, uh, more towards the centre or centre-right of the table. And I was threatening them with the blood mask and I had a, a horde of tortured souls behind it so that if I went in and then it blew up, I could then finish the unit off with the tortured souls. I used that tactic a, a few times because they've got the reach to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jonathan was backing them up uh, quite a bit, so it kept kept two of his main hitting units out of the game, right? Um, which made a difference. That that allowed me. I, I think I put some shooting into one of the fiends on the left, and because they're not going to regenerate, uh, even though it's a tougher target. Having played them myself, I know their weakness. Um, he ended up charging into, uh, might have been abyssal ghouls or something like that, but something he wasn't going to break, and then I was able to flank and take it out. So I slowly won the left side, um, and on the right was a bit more of a standoff, but I was slowly pushing forward and getting onto the tokens. I killed both the uh, troops of flame bearers because they're good for shooting, but uh, they're too low a nerve and too easy to kill. So they only like 9-11 nerve and defence 3, so I took them out pretty quickly with some shooting. Yeah, so it sort of caved in on the end because once I won the left and the right, those units in the centre I was able to surround and then uh, finish it off. But it was, as I said, Jonathan's a good player. I know he's played a lot uh, with some of the other players down in, in Canberra and I think he's someone to watch in the future. He'll be uh, a very good player and a really nice guy to, to boot. Yeah, he is a nice guy. Agreed. Uh, and that ended up a 19-2 as well. So two 19s to start the day, mate. So that's a, that's a good result. And then game three was a very special game against Ken Ferris with his, with his forces of the abyss. So you've, like, it's all abyss on this first day. Ken... Yeah, Ken ended up coming in thirteenth, which oh boy, isn't that a fall from from grace for a previous yeah, winner of Clash yeah. of Kings? You know? Ken, Ken wasn't happy with No, no, I'm, I'd be surprised if he's got out of bed yet. To be honest, <laughs> now the scenario was pillage, and his list was uh, he had three units of succubi, two hordes of succubi larvae, three regiments of tortured souls, a seductress with the pipes of terror two abyssal warlocks, one with conjurer's staff, one with fire oil, and both with drain life. And then he had allies, dirty bugger, uh, a horde of abyssal grotesques, an anchor heavy mortar, and a hex caster with, that also had weakness. Now, tell us about this game, Tracy. Right, yeah, well, I, 
me and Ken had uh, practiced a couple of times up at his place. Um, he was trialing that list in a Varengo list, I think it was. And he'd, he'd actually beaten me with that list uh, a week or two before playing Invade. The, the, the thing of getting first turn in Invade obviously makes a massive difference. And, yeah, he, he got a good win. He's a good player. Um, it just didn't happen for him in this game. So uh, I remember on the left that the mortar still terrifies me. I think from playing AG so often with them, <laughs> that guy could hit the hit anything with those. Couldn't mortars. he? You'd put a uh, pin in the uh, middle of the battlefield and all three would hit. Oh, yeah, without doubt. <laughs> yeah. The last time I played him, I didn't give him any targets, and with the new rules about putting them in terrain, the only decent target he had was uh, a. One of the warlocks I'd put in some water, he said, oh, well, I might as well go for that. What's he do? Double six, first <laughs> shot, kills it straight off. I said, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't seem to matter whether it's on UB or in real life. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. It does it all the time. Well, Ken, Ken started the same way. First shot, uh, rolls a five, six on my mollocks. Uh, <laughs> Does <coughs> seven wounds on him, I, I think, and then he, he's backed it up with the hex caster and one of the warlocks shooting into them as well, and got them up to ten wounds. And then with shattering, that made it eleven. So he needed a seven twice to kill that unit, and he got it on the first roll and failed it on the second. Obviously, it's slightly in my favour to pass that and to have him alive, but it made a big difference in the game. Because that, that's the unit that he ended up putting about 30-odd wounds onto but never actually killed. <laughs> I think it finished the game with uh, zero wounds on it. So, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a bit – that was one of the one I think everyone remembers, uh, the big scream in the middle of round three. <laughs> yeah, no, they did. that scream filled the hall, that's for sure. Yes, yeah. yes, that mm. was on the <coughs> – the following turn, he'd uh, charged in. Um, he did waver them that turn, uh, so I had to back off. He had uh, he had a horde of the um, succubi, also the oh, the bad hitting um, succubi larvae coming in, and a regiment of tortured souls. So I backed off to get out of the uh, range. The succubi, but cop the, the larvae and the tortured souls on the following turn. Uh, but I'd regenerated some of the wounds by then. I think he needed a five to break them on that turn, and he rolled a four in the second turn. <laughs> and that, that was the one where he s- screamed out. Yeah. <laughs> I think the frustration of the missing them the first turn when yep. he needed that second seven and then again on this one where he needed the five. Yep. Yeah, and, and like the five's the one that you really on like on the on the percentages you should get. Oh, yeah, right? should I think I, I think the sevens it goes on the second roll, doesn't it go down to thirty five percent or something like that? But yeah. Yeah, but on those on those fives. <laughs> yeah, five five twice you would yeah. you, most majority yeah. of the time you're gonna get that. Mm, yeah, I started investigating a murder when I heard that, but you know, couldn't find a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, while that was all going on, um, I, I pushed uh, Tortured Souls up on the left and to threaten his uh, his grotesques. 
and I moved up the pendant as well on that side. So he ended up shoving his uh, one of his regiments of tortured souls into my horde, which is what I wanted anyway, because I know I'd outgrind them. So they got killed from that. I shot the pendant into the grotesque because that's a favourite target for them. Um, and then the other fight was going on. As I said, he put the um, the larvae and the tortured souls in into the horde and failed to kill them. And then with drain life and regeneration and so forth that I had around there, I was able to pick those up. On the right side, he outnumbered me quite a bit. I think that was his biggest mistake was the deployment because uh, he had probably half his army on the right where I'd spent uh, probably, I think I had one regiment of the Abyssal Ghouls, the Gargoyles, and maybe one of the the, uh, Warlocks, I think. But it wasn't much. And I was able to dance around him and delay him. I was pretty much giving up two tokens on that side. Mm. Um, but it allowed me to outnumber him on the left. So um, I ended up crushing that left side, again, surrounding him on the right. It was good to, to keep his his uh, succubi alive on that side because I, I put him in a bad position a number of times. And once I got the, the cavalry over to help, he... Uh, he was able to position in a way to stop me getting all the flanks with the main hitters. Um, But, yes, and then I think you came over towards the end of the game and was asking for the scores, Mm -hmm. and we were were adding up the attrition, and I I went through all the units that were out on the table, and then I looked at my list, and then I looked up again, and he's saying, how many attrition points did I get? And you're waiting there to Mm -hmm. do it, and then... I've gone through it again. I looked up at you, if you remember, um, <laughs> sort of half grinning, half like, oh, I can't say this, <laughs> that um, he hadn't killed a thing. So I was obviously in shock. <laughs> uh, so, so was he. I think I saw the light die from his eyes at that point. <laughs> oh, no. I just I couldn't believe it. Mm. Like, yeah, that was... Um, it was he, he did do damage to things, uh, but just yeah couldn't quite kill them. And then the the drain life etc. kept kept me in the game. And though he had drain life as well, so uh, yeah, yeah I don't know. I can't explain it. You'd have to ask Ken on that one. No, and yeah, and uh, and that was then you ended up getting a nineteen two on him. So very consistent day one, mate. Three nineteen twos and. I did make sure on the Saturday night that I reminded Ken of his zero attrition about 37 times, I think. so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't think it came up after that. <laughs> <laughs> All buggers going to live. Yeah. It'll be 10 years down the track and we'll still be talking oh, about absolutely. it. Absolutely. I am certainly not forgetting it, mate. Yeah, no, I'm going to be remembering that <laughs> one for a long time. And then we uh, had yeah. the Saturday night. Uh, what did you get up to? I, I think I saw you falling asleep at one stage and we thought, well, maybe maybe the uh, strategy is to tie the old man out too much and just keep him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm usually a early to bed, early to rise sort of person. So uh, having a couple of drinks, which you most gracefully put on for everyone, you put a, a money on the bar, which, um, yeah, it's, uh, couldn't thank you enough. 
for that. It was a brilliant night. Um, Ken pulled out the poker chips, so we started playing poker. Um, yeah, we just sat around, chatted, played poker, had drinks, and yeah. Mm. I think what pulled, gamers do. Yeah, a couple of board games. I think he pulled out the poker because he had to win at something, right? So yes, yes, yeah, yeah. pretty keen on winning with that. <laughs> He did win two of the games. Yeah, he did. Yep. Um, All right. Well, let's take a brief break and we'll be back with your games from day two. This is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube Battle Report channel Newbie Dice and you're listening to Fan Shen Fan Ji. All right, so we're going to be we're back with day two now and into game four where you played Ian Wood's Ogres. Uh, this time the scenario was yep. control, as you mentioned, and Ian Wood, I, I think, did he go into day one first or second? And you might have been about, I, I, I can't remember actually, but anyway, his list was... I think was, I was, yeah, I was in first place after yeah. day one and he would have been in second. Second, yeah. Um, so he was running a horde of boomers a regiment and a horde of berserker braves. Uh, the horde of berserker braves had the brew of haste, three hordes of siege breakers. Uh, so one with the chalice of wrath, one with dwarven ale and one with staying stone. Uh, he had a red goblin blaster, two army standard bearers, a berserker bully, Kuzlo and Madfall, and Nomagarok. Uh, so tell us about this game, mate. Yeah, well, as soon as I saw... The Ogres, normally I'm, I'm happy playing against Ogres. They're, they're a good, solid list, and their weakness is uh, flying. So I had uh, Bale and that there, which I thought would my biggest advantage. Mm. But the three hordes of Siege Breakers, I wasn't sure how I was going to deal with them because even the Mollocks aren't going to stand up to those things. Yeah, he had a very strong list, and the worst thing was the scenario being controlled because... Obviously, having played Ogres myself, that's one of the best scenarios you can get, if not the best scenario you can get with Ogres, mm. because everything, you've got scores, you've got lots of nimble characters that can run and take quarters. Then for the role to go first, he won that as well and made me go first. So I thought, well, he knows what he's doing as well. Yep. Because uh, that's what you need to do is uh, <clears throat> at the end of the game be able to pick off the the different uh, zones at the end of the game. So, uh, yeah, so he mainly put his Siege Breakers in the centre. Uh, he had his Berserkers and uh, Kuzlo over on the left. And I think he put uh, the Boomers, uh, BSB or something, over on the right. Uh, so my idea was delay the centre because uh, I didn't want to fight the Siege Breakers too much. Uh, try and get the Boomers with the uh, Crystal Pendant and then back it up with the uh, Tortured Souls, that same trick. And then on my left, um, I had the extra shooting because the Berserkers were there, so I wanted to shoot up the Berserkers, get them down to a point where I could then finish them off and use uh, use Bales. Uh, maneuverability to to win on that side. So um, the delaying in the centre went to plan because <clears throat> it's not hard to do other than just delay. Um, on the left, my shooting was really, really poor. I think uh, after 
three rounds of bail shooting. He's got lightning bolt seven. I know two or three turns in a row I rolled one hit and then rolled a one to wound. So that wasn't really going to plan. Um, I did a few wounds over there, but he slowly came forward. On the right, I did end up getting um, the crystal pendant into the boomers. Uh, He set it up to have a shot at them. He ended up forgetting to do it and then remembered during my turn that he'd forgotten to do it. So uh, it was a little bit late to go back to it. And we, I did the odds and said, look, the chances of you doing anything there probably aren't massive. If you got a, a, a waiver or something, that definitely would have But uh wasn't to be. So the crystal pendant's gone into them, did a couple of wounds on them, blown up on the following turn, got him up to about nine wounds, nine or ten wounds. And then I've charged in with the horde of tortured souls on my turn, or the following turn to finish him off I only hit three times out of 18 attacks so that was pretty poor and they survived and I ended up losing the tortured souls I I in my following turn forgotten to move them at all so there was a mistake on my part but again was too late we'd already moved on to other parts of the game yeah he slowly came in was able to towards the end leave one or two I think he left the BSB back in one quarter he left the um, well, the thing that blows up, the Goblin Blaster, back in his centre. I end up winning on the left um, and got the left quarter and the one on his side, but he won my centre, his centre and the two on the right. So he played it well, um, did everything right. Uh, we both made a couple of mistakes, but, uh, yeah, he, he got a well-deserved victory. Yeah, yeah, and I think so. In the end, it was a sixteen-five. So yeah, I managed a not a bad loss for you in 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 the in the blackjack scoring system. Yeah, I think he was in control for most of that game. I was I was on the back foot from word go in that one. Uh, and so that brings us to game five, uh, which was yep. against Peter Ball's Dwarves. Uh, the scenario was yep. smoke and mirrors. Um, my biggest problem with smoke and mirrors, I always forget where I've put the bloody tokens. <laughs> and uh, so Peter was running two Iron Guard troops, both with Mastiffs, two Shield Breaker Hordes, both with Mastiffs, two Ranger Regiments, a Brock Regiment with the Potion of the Caterpillar, two Cannons, two Mastiff Packs with Mastiffs, one Lord on Large Beast with Brewer Slashing, and one Mounted Berserker Lord with Blade of the Beast Slayer. Yeah, very tough match, that one. Peter had the cannons and that shooting at me from word go and the the uh, throwing mastiffs I find are, are particularly tough to deal with because there's not much you can do about them. No, and they can, like if they if they roll high, they're um they're just yeah. they're, they're they're pretty uh they're pretty brutal, aren't they? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Um and a lot of a lot of my uh, units, my tougher units like the Mollocks and that, just melt under them. So I had to try and do it so that he wouldn't throw all of them at one unit at one time. I'd sort of try and get it in position where he could get one lot at them. Then I would have a chance of regenerating some. 
and then maybe push a different unit up in range for another one to try and make it piecemeal that he threw at me, and that that tended to work a bit. He his cannons uh, did a bit of work on my mollocks on the right, but I got them into terrain, so that meant it was sixes to shoot them after that, and I slowly started getting the wounds back through regeneration and uh, keeping them out of range of the uh, the throwing mastiffs. Uh, the centre he controlled, he had a, the uh, shield breakers, big horde of them, and one of the uh, ranger units coming down the centre. So I kept the centre fairly bare. Uh, the left, I was, I thought I should be able to win that. I sent the um, blood mask up to try and get into the Brock riders. Um, he had a few shots at him. He came close to getting in. I think, again, it was like a seven or an eight to, to get him twice. Uh, got him once and then failed on the second. Um, but on the following turn, he did kill him. So the blood mask went down without getting to blow up anyone. So that was that was uh, disappointing. Hmm. Um, I moved the Mollocks up on the hill on the left. I had a regiment of... Um, Abyssal Ghouls with them and two of the Warlocks. So I was hoping to get into a grind over there and then start drain lifing, especially on uh, Brocks. I thought I'd be able to uh, win that out. And I put them in position to take the charge off the Brock Riders because they can outcharge out me. And I'd, I'd lost the uh, Blood Mask. But I thought I was out of range of his hero on the Brock. Um well, not out of range, but out of out of line of sight. But um, I hadn't checked it properly, and he could just see. So he ended up getting the double charge and broke the Mollocks on the charge. So uh, that sort of put me on the back foot there. Um, I was able to kill off the the Brocks. I think I double either double one or rolled. It. Oh no, that's right. I um, I had him up to like thirteen, fourteen wounds, I think, um, and then I. Charged them with a regiment of uh, abyssal ghouls. I actually had two two regiments over there, and uh, then I drained life. And I said to Peter, I said, "Oh, I could have made a blue here." I said, "Because this could this could work out quite badly," and it actually did. In that the drain life, I was certain to get some wounds on them, uh, especially with two two guys there. Uh, but then the Abyssal Ghouls failed to do a wound. So he was on double ones if I could do a wound, but I couldn't do a wound. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that left them in range of his horde of uh, um, shell breakers that were coming round. So he was able to get them into play, save his um, his Brock Riders and because we had three tokens on that left side, so that's that's where I mainly wanted to win. And uh, it was going reasonably badly then. Um, but we were getting up close to turn six at this stage, so he killed off, off those. I'd move one of the Warlocks down uh, near one of the tokens and then drain life again on the Brocks and killed them. I think I went second on this, yeah, because that was turn six when he'd come across. Down on, he had the Rangers fighting my other Abyssal Ghoul unit, 
who I'd only kept in play because I had the warlock move over there and was drain lifing and keeping them alive. And I got him over there to help contest uh, the token. So we're even over there. And um, on the right side, uh, we eventually got into a big uh, smash up over there and uh, wasn't sort of much one way or the other. Um, But uh, the fact that his uh, shell breakers couldn't quite get close enough to the token uh, meant that at the end of turn six, I was ahead 3-2. Might have been 5-3 or something like that because some were worth two and some were worth one, etc. But there was a two-point token where his uh, shell breakers were coming up up to. Uh, so if we got the seventh turn, he would have gone up and grabbed that and there wasn't much I could do about it. The best I could hope for, I think, would have been a draw on turn seven, but uh, it ended on turn six and... Uh, I was able to eke out the victory on that one, so yep. definitely not a convincing one, but uh, it was a really good, tight game. Peter's a, a great player, and uh, we've had a, a lot of really good close clashes before. So Yeah, he is a good player. Yeah, yeah, and you always need a little bit of luck to win these bigger tournaments, don't you? You know, just a little bit of something to go your oh, way. Yeah. Mm. yeah, if you don't get any luck, if you, if you have bad luck, you're definitely not going to win. Yeah. Um, and so that was a 14-7. So in the blackjack scoring, basically, there was no swing on scenario or attrition there. So you, you um, basically had the, yeah, the, the smallest win you could. And then that brings us into the final game, which was uh, where winner was set to take all. Uh, you were first, um, Michael Geld was second, or, or vice versa, I can't remember. Um, and the draw for each of you would have left you being over to um, open to being leapfrogged for victory. You didn't know this before, but I got an interview with Michael and he was thinking of spraying sanitizer into your eyes for an advantage. I think that that probably would have done the trick, but I'm half blind anyway, so I don't really know that it would have. <laughs> uh, and so um, I always try and finish each day on a nice, easy scenario when everyone's getting a bit tired. So we were playing Dominate. Yeah. Um, although I think for Michael that probably played into his list a little bit. Um, but uh, So what he was running was a horde of ironclad, a horde of shield breakers with the dragon shard shield, uh, a regiment of brock riders with the meat of madness, a horde of earth elementals, two regiments of mastiffs, two cannons, two organ guns, steel behemoth upgraded to Gollock's Fury, a dwarf lord on large beast with Blade of the Beast Slayer, and a war smith with the Sacred Horn. So a bit of a different list to to what what you might normally see. Yeah, it was a good list. Yeah, a bit of a mix of everything. Tell yeah. us how this last game ended up, mate. Yeah, well, when I heard it was Dominate, he, he came over to me and uh, we were actually sat down and were having something to eat or drink before the game. And he said, oh, yeah, it's a pretty open table. And he said, oh, I don't know whether that's good. And I'm thinking, well, if you've got two organ guns, <laughs> it's not going to be good for me. Yeah. But when I got over to the table, it had two hills opposite each other, um, probably to the right side of the centre of the table. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought, well, there's some cover I can get in behind the hills. And there was a forest on either side back back from the uh, dominate area, but at least it was somewhere I could sit and uh, have some cover again. So I pretty much um, placed most of my units 
either in the forest or behind the hills. Obviously, you can't hide from all the shots from the cannons, etc. But I didn't want to cop those organ guns too much. Um, I gave him first turn, and uh, he just moved. He had the bulk of his army uh, behind the hills, and the I think the cannons, he put one right over in his right corner and one in the centre with his two organ guns, and he had the uh, the character that lets him re-roll ones. Uh, and then he had Golic's Fury over there as well. So all the shooting was directly at the centre of the board, which is obviously the smart way to play it. Mm. Um, so that was like, if I if I moved out into that, I'm going to die type of thing. Um, so I let him come forward. He didn't move the uh, organ guns. Uh, he just left them because they were in a, a difficult ground or something. And... Uh, so I uh, moved up on the right, started pressuring the Brock Riders uh, with Bale, did a couple of wounds, and I was able to um, sort of run, do the run around with him with Bale and, and move the tortured souls up to back it up um, and threaten the flank of his army and keep out a position where the uh, Brocks couldn't get into me. Then I end up getting over into his backfield in a position where if the Brocks charge or turn to face me, then I'd move the tortured souls up so that they'd be in charge range. Uh, if he didn't, uh, then I'm going to get a flank or whatever. So he ended up going, he marched forward right up into the tortured soul's face so that he could get out of Ark of Bale. Um, but that was fine as well because I put Bale in a position to take out the cannon uh, so I took the cannon out and turned and was still in range to uh, rear charge the, the Brocks. So the Tortured Souls went into them. Bale come back in the rear. So that sort of wiped out his right side. And then I turned to face the centre. Um, through the centre, I mainly delayed the first few turns because his army is fairly slow. And I wanted to, uh, again, surround him, which is what I ended up doing. Um, I think around about turn four is when I started to move mm -hmm. um, because obviously if I let him move up too far, then I'm not going to get in the zone. Um, and his shooting was still starting to play havoc with me. He ended up shooting the um, the Moloch's off that were in the forest, even with the minuses to hit and, and me regenerating. So um, I think on turn three or four, he'd move the... Uh, organ guns up. Uh, but, yeah, we got into a big scrum in the middle. Um, and then when I'd won on that right side and was able to bring them over, um, that sort of gave me the advantage there. Um, then we had a couple of, couple of funny ones happen. He, he had the uh, shield, you know, that one that pushes up by plus two to your defence, 20 points. Or yeah, yeah, the um, Dragon Shard Shield. Yeah, he had that on the Shield Breakers and uh, I'd, I'd put the the Crystal Pendant into the front but he didn't want to didn't want to charge him back. He didn't want to kill him because um, I was already racking up points of damage on him through Drain Life and, and him attacking them and then I had Bale and that in the flank and the Tortured Souls in the flank 
So he moved back and then, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, he withdrew from combat and then put the shield on. And I thought that was a really good idea. So pushed him up to defence six on a, with a horde's nerve. Mm. Um, I was still able to break him, but it was no foregone conclusion there. But, yeah, once I got through them and then, um, yeah, I just slowly collapsed the, the centre in from the right side while he was winning the, the centre part. But I just had too many units alive in the end, um, being able to get into the centre and uh, I never got to any of the other war machines. Uh, didn't attempt to fight Golok's Fury because I, I, well, once the Molochs went, I had nothing that could really scratch it. So, uh, yeah, it was a, a good, tough game. You know, a bit of good luck, bad luck both ways in that one. And Michael's a great guy. Uh, he, he, again, on his first shot, rolled a 5-6 with the cannon. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah. But um, I think the last time I played him, he, he'd had really good luck with his dice. And uh, I thought, oh, he's going to do it again because he'd been saying how much luck he'd been having during mm. the tournament. And um, but luck wasn't any any part of it. He didn't have great luck at all. We, we both had sort of reasonable luck during the game. So uh, mm. yeah, very good game, very good sport. Uh, yeah, laughing the whole time through it. So it was a great game. Yeah, which is which is great for the top table, right? Yeah. Last 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 round, you know, of a of a decent sized tournament. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, you both feel a bit of pressure because you're trying to to win, etc. But yeah, we were laughing the whole time, and when things went wrong or went right, you know, we all the ooh and aaron and laughing, and yeah, it was good. It was yeah, good. great. And Very so good. that that ended up a sixteen five to you, so taking you up to those ninety two tournament points, uh, giving you the win. Yep. So congratulations. Did you, yeah, thank you. Did you have a favourite game across the tournament? Favourite game? Uh, favourite moment with Ken? Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, not that I want to put that in. Uh, <laughs> That's going in, mate. Oh, yeah, then. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> um, oh, yeah, there was, there was the, the really tough games with Peter and uh, with Ian. Mm-hmm. They were really tough. They, they uh, pushed me to the limit. Um, good laughing games. Uh, yeah, had a lot of fun uh, with uh, Mark, was it, in the first round? Yep. yep. Um, and also uh, with Michael at the end. They were, they were good. Ken and me, as I said, we play all the time, so they're always a good game. Yeah. Frustrating. We both had frustrating times and. Mm. I've read this time that it's his turn to have it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jonathan, really nice guy. We, we, as I said, we uh, chatted quite a bit, and especially soon we both had uh, both had the forces of abyss. We had a lot to talk about and compare notes, etc. So yeah, yeah, look, they were all they were all great games. Some yeah. were more stressful than others, but uh, all of them were enjoyable. Yeah. Well, we might start to wrap it up there, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, you got any shout-outs you want to give before you go? I know uh, Nick Legrand's got a tournament coming up mm-hmm. um, in Sydney. I think that's the 5th or 6th of it's March. It's early, early March, so yeah. It's about 
Yeah, so uh, hopefully a couple of the Canberra guys can come down for that one. Yep. Um, I know the Newcastle boys are coming along for it. Um, and the other one, I suppose, uh, Jesse, it's uh, seeing that online, I, I didn't know what to say. Mm. Um, yeah, such a sad situation. Just want to wish him the best and, uh, yeah, I hope everything goes as best as it can for him and I know the whole community uh, sort of broken hearted over it. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, he's the front of everyone's thoughts, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I think all of us, uh, I, I'm, I'm someone who's watched a lot of the YouTube videos, used to love watching them and, yeah, he used to crack me up laughing every mm. time I watch watch him in the videos with Kyle and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, just such a sad thing, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So just a shout out, Jesse. Yeah, I'll add to that. And so you know, everyone certainly in our communities uh, thinking of you, mate. And you know, uh, there's as you say, there's not much to say, but you know, our th- thoughts are certainly <laughs> with him. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, regarding the event, I just wanted to shout out everyone that assisted, especially Nick Prosso, who hung around and made it much easier for me to play. Um, for counter charge, I also want to shout out our hobby challenge, which is ongoing at the moment. So you can jump on there and check out all the picks. But on that note, until next time, keep counter charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on counter charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge 15 or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 